And that was kind of when the reality hit that something is not working, something is not going right. He didn't look like my brother. He looked 30 years older than what he actually was. So that's kind of when we kind of realized like, okay, something's going on. Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Sanagato. I'm Greg Dybeck. For anyone that would like to be a guest on our show, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Our email is oplpodcast at gmail.com. Just send us your story and we'll get back to you. Today, we're speaking to a woman who reached out to us about what it's like to lose a sibling and be there uh, for a sibling's sort of end of life period. And to be honest, I think this is a conversation Joe and I, for selfish reasons, have probably avoided for a little while. I think it's obviously something very difficult to talk about. Uh, we both have siblings ourselves, but we also feel that it's really important because this is not a unique situation to be in uh, for you know people who have family members, friends that may have a terminal in illness or, you know, to be there to kind of help guide and support them, uh, through their end of life period. So we've got our guests on the line and, uh, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. So can you, I guess, just tell us, uh, who your sibling was that we're going to be speaking about today and, uh, just kind of paint the picture, I guess, of just sort of date range ages Absolutely. So um, it was my older brother, Brandon. We're uh, one of five siblings. I have two half sisters and um, one older sister. I'm the youngest. So he was smack in the middle of all of us. Um, he was 28, kind of at the start of everything. And then he was 29 at the time of death. So kind of just at that age, getting everything together in life. So kind of sorted out and figured out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, how long ago did this happen? Uh, this actually, we have just passed the two-year mark of his death. Um, and then his diagnosis was almost, I think, 17 days from being a year before that. So technically been on the journey for about three years now. And what was the diagnosis? And can you kind of just walk us through, you know, that day as you remember it, you know, with your family, with your brother, uh, where this news came about? Absolutely. Um, so it's kind of important to note he was a travel recruiter for one of the colleges. Um, he lives up in Ohio and with my other siblings. And then I, myself, and my parents live in Texas. So there's a bit of a distance between us, but he first kind of started feeling some pain in his back, thought it was traveling. My brother's athletic. So he thought maybe it was soccer. Um, maybe it was all the traveling, but it ended up just progressing and progressing um, to the point where he did go to a chiropractor to kind of try to figure out if it's something like a pinch nerve and did x-rays, didn't find anything. Uh, it wasn't until January of 2021 that he ended up going to the ER, his girlfriend called us, said something's not right, that he will not take medication. He's not moving. He's out of it. We have to go. And that's where they initially thought it was pancreatic cancer. Um, it wasn't until he did the biopsy just a couple days later and we flew in that we found out it was uh, pancreatic neuro 
neuroendocrine cancer. So basically the cancer originated in his pancreas. Um, so there was a, a pain in his back that just kind of went undiagnosed. And then eventually you get to this point where, you know, you have this news, like what was the initial sort of reaction and what were the doctors sort of saying at that point? So oftentimes when you get a initial diagnosis of anything involving your pancreas, um, whether it be pancreatic cancer, it's usually they'll kind of rip the bandaid off and tell you, hey, this is serious. You need to start figuring stuff out, get your end of life plans ready, um, because this is something that is very aggressive and your pancreas does a world for your body. So when you get that diagnosis, oftentimes it's not great and they'll start kind of giving you, you know, your time span that you do have. Um, it was pretty hard, especially on my parents, because we were in Texas at the time. Um, so we were kind of in the mess of getting flights figured out, but it ended up working out. We left like 3 a.m. that night. It was very hard. And then we were pretty relieved when we heard the neuroendocrine diagnosis. Um, we had never heard of it before. Uh, most of the people that do come down with it are in their 50s and 60s and usually women, not a 28-year-old athlete. So that was just a shock, but it wasn't as severe as a pancreatic cancer diagnosis. So we felt some relief there. Okay. So it was just sort of extremely rare for him to even have this? Yes. Um, the It was a world of difficulties trying to even find a doctor who had in our area treated or even seen this type of cancer before. Wow. So after that happens, and it seems like you guys kind of rushed to be with him, um, at what point did the doctors reveal that it was, I guess, worse than maybe you guys initially thought? Uh, they were pretty, they were pretty honest with us in the beginning. Um, he had just started to kind of drop weight at this point. He still you know, look like a healthy young man. Like we're talking about a guy who barely drinks or um, super athletic, takes care of his body. So it was kind of mainly a shock. Like you didn't want to believe it. The doctors didn't want to believe it, but they pretty initially, as soon as we got that biopsy and admitted him into the hospital, he began his treatment right away. Um, and this one was an experimental chemo, just trying to see if that will help before we could get him into more of a specialist. Um, that was all ASAP. And they still gave him kind of roughly like a year and a half, but didn't push it as hard at this time. Um, so that's kind of the start of how it all began. Did, did they give him sort of a time frame, or did they use the word terminal at this point? They did not. They gave, did give him a time frame of upwards between one to two years, kind of heavy hinting on the one year at, at initially. Wow. wow. And what, do you, what was his sort of reaction and I guess the family's reaction to that? Uh, it's definitely shock. And then you have denial, um, especially after the diagnosis kind of changed. We were hoping that it was wrong. Um, of course, it wasn't. But he was in good spirits. He was the type of guy that didn't want anyone to worry about him. 
So although you know it hit him hard, he was not showing it to absolutely anyone. Mm. What about you in that position? Uh, I just would imagine that it probably feels very surreal at first to hear that, especially the way that, you know, you described your brother from the age to him being athletic, healthy. Uh, do you kind of recall what that was like? Uh, I guess just beginning to process the reality that it, it would be terminal. Absolutely. I was actually, um, that night I was in bed. I was still living with my parents at the time. And I had just gotten to sleep and my mom came in and she was just a mess with tears. So I knew something serious was going on. And when she told me it was Brandon, it was that shock and denial. Like he's so healthy. If anyone, it would have been, we would have thought it would have been me or even my dad or maybe even my other sister, but him, it was a complete shock. Wow. And then, you know, as you're on this uh, journey, um, you know, I'm assuming there's like chemotherapy involved and everything. Um, you said it was like a year after uh, the diagnosis that he passed away. Absolutely. So he ended up, I believe, on four or five different types of chemo. Most of those were experimental because this this is just so it's such a rare thing that there's not a lot of attention on it. So definitely went through a ton of different treatment plans and opportunities for treatment. I guess one thing that's probably important to touch on too is the way that this can impact a family when this super sudden news hits, do you, or I guess, can you talk about, you know, how much sort of immediately changed um, in terms of, you know, all of you essentially playing a role or changes in your life that you need to make um, to, you know, be with him, you know, through this journey? Absolutely. So my mom, she initially just, took it with a grain of salt got the ball run rolling she was on top of doctor visits um recording what the doctor was saying figuring out treatment plans doing research my dad was the same way if we couldn't get medications fast enough for the pharmacy to fill or insurance to approve my parents were paying out of pocket um just trying to hit it as hard as we can and hoping that whatever we're doing is right um, my sister, she, you know, took it pretty hard. She, you know, lives right by him, was there with him. We would have never thought it even occurred. And it was really hard for her. But at, at the beginning, we all were pretty optimistic because it wasn't like he was already sick for any reason. He was very strong. So we were pretty optimistic at first. At what point did you start to lose that optimism? Uh, there was a point where he he would do a doctor in Ohio and then get treatment at MD Anderson in Houston. So he would fly in and out. And he initially started to lose some weight very gradually. And uh, once we got onto a new chemo plan, he started to even lose more weight. And it got to the point where he looked like skin and bones and that was kind of when the reality hit 
that something is not working. Something is not going right. He didn't look like my brother. He looked 30 years older than what he actually was. So that's kind of when we kind of realized like, okay, something's going on. Hmm. Did you ever have a conversation with him about that? Like, did he ever sort of accept the fact that like, I might not be able to beat this? Uh, it was, he definitely struggled. Um, my mom saw it more because she was with him at all the appointments. He definitely struggled. There was a nurse that was pretty harsh that came and said, look, I don't think you're going to be here um, past this January. And that was true, but that was extremely hard for someone who just got their house and their first job to hear. Um, everyone else just was still in shock. Um insurance could not approve anything fast enough for us so it was just kind of like a nightmare you're kind of in a headspace of not really knowing what's going on and what's reality and what's not so that's definitely how it all kind of that's how I remember it it's very much like a fog when you say like insurance wasn't approving faster can you talk about that a little I mean I've heard some obvious horror stories uh with things like that. Like it, it's just weird to hear that they could be so sure that a nurse in a hospital can say, you probably won't be here in a few months, but then at the same time you're having trouble, what getting approval for medicine and things like that. Absolutely. So the issue with, you know, a more less known cancer versus something a little more common like breast cancers, breast cancer has some known treatment that's been researched that's been proven to work for, way longer than any of the treatments my brother was on. So a lot of these experimental treatments are still insanely expensive because they're still experimental. Um, and it takes a pretty good chunk of money out of your deductible and your insurance. And at some point after doing so many rounds, your insurance is going to kind of want to slow down because you are using so much of that deductible or even just money in general. So that was extremely frustrating. And then at the point kind of towards the end where he could get his chemo that was supposed to help, it was too late. He was too weak. So it's just a tricky time bomb that you kind of have to kind of mediate. And then, um, you know, when you get to the point where he does end up passing away, uh, was there some sort of sense of relief at that point? up and down where he did gain his weight back and he did look healthy and he was doing great i mean even three months before his death he just got a new job it was like his first grown-up job as so to speak working in business he ended up getting his master's so we never would have thought because when you think of something someone sick you wouldn't think of them still achieving all of these life milestones and being happy but when it it hit, it was hard. It was a shock. It was denial. You couldn't believe it. My sister was there to witness it. She had just found out she was um, expecting a baby. Um, they weren't trying or anything, but that was just two days before. So it was a shock. He had just got a biopsy the day before he passed, and he was still working that day. So it was just, you just didn't believe it when it did happen. He was at work when he passed away? 
Yeah, so it was peak of COVID. Um, so he was working from home. So he was still on his laptop working up until, you know, before his death. So even essentially, I mean, obviously there's hope, but like essentially being told like you have a terminal illness, it's going to take a lot to beat this. You said he got his master's and he ended up getting a job and was working throughout all of this? Absolutely. He never slowed down. He never let it let anything affect him negatively. Um, he was still active with all family members, uh, wanting to be a part of big life events, even though COVID was around. He was just trying to kind of grab and keep a hold of normalcy. And I think that's what really kind of put his mind at ease through everything was still kind of treating everything like it was normal. Wow. That, uh, that's incredible. I mean, that just says so much about him having not known him, but hearing that is, wow, that the strength that that must take just inside of yourself to continue pursuing things, continue, you know, attacking life in that way. Just, wow. So it, so, wow. So it was sudden then, despite kind of understanding and do you, I guess, well, I guess my question is how do you remember, you know, your family coming together in that moment and, and yourself? And I think, you know, in, in having this conversation, it's, this is the hard reality that every single person listening to this right now will deal with in some way, shape or form. And it's, you know, when it's so tragic like this, because it's someone young with so much potential, that's so difficult. But do you remember kind of, you know, how you guys came together in that moment and, you know, kind of the days or weeks after? Absolutely. I ended up putting myself in therapy pretty shortly after his diagnosis because I struggled with anticipatory grief. Um, so I was heavily working on different worksheets, researching, kind of trying to find coping methods. So when everything did um, end up happening and his death did happen, I kind of tried to take on the role of speaking to my sister, speaking to my parents, making sure everything's fine, that their grief is valid because there's five different stages of grief um, and anger is one of those stages. So um, just trying to go through everything with them. My sister took it the hardest because here she just got happy news. And then she was actually there when he did pass away. So she, the most comforting thing, I think, out of everything that happened is that she was there. Her husband, now husband was there and they were holding his hand, telling him how much we loved him. They were there to call the ambulance but they stayed with him the whole time and if it was the other way and he had passed alone or without one of us there I think it would have been a lot harder but we did have some closure and hurt being there yeah and you know I guess kind of after he passes away um you know did you find that you know the coping me mechanisms that you sort of like built, you know, were helpful and how did everyone sort of take that? And, you know, where is everyone today with this? For me, it was definitely helpful because I had a sense of what to expect. So I knew my emotions were valid. They weren't 
there wasn't any question about that. Same thing with my parents. Um, obviously, the worst thing that could ever happen to a parent is losing their child. So that really threw them for a loop. My mom had lost her job due to having to travel back and forth all the time with him, um, whether it be to Ohio or to Houston. So she was still upset and angry and going through their emotions of all of that trauma herself. So it's just kind of having to take a step back, put your pride aside and just be present in that moment, despite all of the pain. Um, and it, it's gotten better slowly as time goes on. There's definitely still hiccups. January through um, is just a dark month for us. December, kind of when the holidays start coming together, that's when it starts getting a little darker for us. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about some of those coping mechanisms and, um, you know, how, I, I guess, even advice for anyone who, you know, finds themselves in a similar situation uh, where they know it, you know, might be that end of life period for someone. Uh, some of the things that I guess helped you most to cope. Absolutely. Um, there is some great resource groups to join on Facebook for uh, virtually almost any type of uh, terminal illness. Those are incredibly helpful. You can read those stories. Um, also for me, I worked in vet med previously, so I know a lot of end-of-life care, um, a lot about surgeries. That helped me a lot read up about it because biopsies and different procedures are scary. And if you can understand them, it does bring a sense of peace to your mind. Um, that helped a lot. But also just being honest with yourself um, is a big part. Letting yourself feel these emotions. Don't bottle it in. If you like, I did not want to talk to my parents or my family about the way I was feeling because they were also going through it. So I would put on a front with them and try to be as happy as I could. Um, but I did my lovely fiance. He would call me every single day for three hours at a time and he would just let me vent. And that was so integral to my healing, especially that week of when he did pass and we did travel up there. That was the biggest thing. So reach out, speak. Your emotions are valid. There's several stages of grief. You are not supposed to feel a certain way at any given point of time. And that's okay. It's not, you do not have to break down crying initially. You can be angry and that's totally fine. And that is normal. Yeah, that's really helpful to hear. Um, very, very helpful to hear. And I think that's huge in just validating emotions um, because they, yeah, there truly is no right way to deal with that. Uh, and I know I've heard a lot of people feel that too. It's like, why am I not responding the way that I thought I would respond to this? And then almost being hard on themselves or wondering. So that that is good to hear. And I'm curious, like... <sighs> in this case with someone so, so young, what does that process of, uh, I don't know, like tying up loose ends or cleaning up, you know, if, if that's even that term even makes sense for this, but, um, you know, I think you mentioned like he had a girlfriend and things like that. Like, what is that process? Oh, absolutely. So, with his new job, he actually did end up giving getting a life insurance policy, and his girlfriend was the beneficiary to that. 
So they had just bought and bought a house that year. That house was pretty much paid off due to that life insurance policy. So he very much took care of her. Um, my mom was the one to get all of his stocks, figure that out, the bank, the death certificate, um, any ingoing, outgoing transactions, subscriptions. She did all of that herself. Now, if that was me, I wouldn't have even known where to start. She's still doing stuff to this day. Um, so that was really hard. But then you also have more serious issues like autopsies. Now, he had a biopsy the day before, and a lot of people were pushing for us to get an autopsy because they wanted to know if there was some foul play, if a mistake happened, um, and none of my family wanted that. Uh, my mom's brother passed away real young, and he had an autopsy, and if you read one of those reports, they're one of the most gruesome things that you can ever possibly read, and it ended up actually the coroner who did pronounce him dead called my dad and said look he's been through enough we're not doing this and that it's just one of those moments where you know kind of it's just how life is it's just going to be tough no matter what and for a coroner to even say that having seen what they see in a day you just know all right yeah this is this is going to be another kind of journey we're going to have to go through with everything and and um what would you say, like, <clears throat> I mean, I know that you got, you said that, like, near the holidays, it kind of gets, like, sort of worse. Um, but I guess day to day, how is your entire family sort of dealing with this loss? It's day to day. We still remember him. He was an avid Harry Potter fan. Uh, my mom works at a Christmas store and I actually work with her to keep busy and they're open year round and they had a Harry Potter village. So every year my mom gets super excited, gets all the new pieces that she didn't get for him initially or have come out since his passing and she assembles it um, before Christmas and keeps it out. My sister, her baby is probably what has single-handedly saved all of us Um She's getting close to being one and a half, and she actually has a puppy. It's a little stuffed bear made out of my brother's shirt that she carries around, and she is just like him and just the little things, and that is huge for healing. Just having a little, fresh little baby there to just enjoy because they're happy, and she makes everyone happy, and she reminds us so much of him, and she knows who he is, so she'll point and she'll say. So that's definitely important too, to us. Yeah. I was going to ask if, you know, if there's anyone sort of dealing with this sort of thing or any sort of loss or grief, like what advice you have from them uh, for them. Um, and like what has ultimately worked for you besides, you know, the things that you've already said. Absolutely. Just staying busy is the biggest thing. Staying busy do not emotionally say to others, if they ask how they're doing and you're not doing good, don't put up that front. Um, it is okay to be vulnerable about it, especially not many people understand what it is like and can kind of be a little insensitive um, to you regarding your emotions. But just, he loves certain songs and we hear them all the time come across our radio, whether it be in the car and 
we just celebrate him because he wouldn't have want us to be grieving. So anything that we can do to celebrate him and honor his life, we've done it. Um, there's people, his friends will run different races in honor of him. Um, I carry a luggage tag that I gave him oh, probably like 15 years ago uh, that he had borrowed when he lost his. And I carry that with me whenever I travel just to kind of keep my spirit alive. He used to travel all around the world. So it's kind of just a little part of our bond between him and I. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like he <clears throat> did live a full life with the time that he had. And, you know, it's it's amazing to hear just the action of keeping that memory alive and, and how important that is. And I'm just curious, like, dealing with a tragedy like this, it, it feels so unfair. Uh, how has it kind of changed your perspective or outlook on life, on life, on death, you know, just in general? Um, I have never been super religious. Um, so initially like my family, we're, I wouldn't say we're like lukewarm, um, but we're definitely not as heavy hitting as some people are, or, um, I guess as scheduled as some people are with religion. We kind of, my dad had kind of blessed all of us siblings to choose what we want to believe in. So I've always struggled with it. And when I first got that call, I was so upset putting the blame on the higher ups or God or whoever I was livid. And at the end of the day, like, regardless of what I look at, it just seems a little silly um, to feel that way, to be mad, just because there's truly no one would wish this on anyone. It's just no one would. Um, my sister, her fiance's uh, or now husband's dad actually did also pass away of cancer um, about, I think, 11 months after my brother. So they take some solace in religion and just being with family, more celebrating life. Um, my grandma still is going to church and hanging out with all of her church friends to keep her busy, which is awesome. I'm so happy she has that support group as well as my parents. They're just working their little behinds off as they always do just to stay busy. So that's just mainly what we're focused on right now. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we thank you so much for just walking us through this journey because I think it just helps normalize so many feelings, just the range of feelings. And just to hear you, you know, go from anger to preparation, coping ahead. And just, it's just such a journey. And I think it's just such an individual journey. And I'm sure so many people listening or watching are, you know, maybe reflecting on their own similar experience of losing a loved one. And it's, yeah, it's so personal, so individual, so wide ranging of the emotions and, you know, just hard to describe, but for you to be vulnerable, for you to, you know, explain this journey. And I think just show also just how difficult it is on, on the family and the loved ones. And I I've seen it in my life many times. I've seen my mom have to, you know, be there for losing two siblings, her mom, like, and, and I just remember always thinking I've seen with other people too, of like, this is so much work for the person. Like, obviously the person who has the illness and is going through this, it's terrible, but it's so much work and can upend the life of family members as well. So I think, uh, 
that all that to just say thank you, you know, for sharing this journey. And I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people uh, who, you know, have unfortunately gone through something similar. Absolutely. It's an important thing that you don't ever think will happen or you don't expect it till later in life. Um, but it's always good just to keep in the back of your head that, hey, let's be present now while everything is good and everyone is clear um, and just cherish your time with them in the present and, you know, in the future, because you just don't ever know when something like this is going to happen. Yeah. Thank you again for, you know, coming on and, and talking to us. We know that it's probably not like the easiest thing in the world, but, you know, as Greg said, I think it's important um, and definitely will be helpful to people out there that are going through similar situations. Absolutely. And if anyone else is struggling with NRT, NETRF um, or neuroendocrine, there is NETRF.org where you can find more information and kind of they will help you with treatment plans. So definitely reach out to them. Um, it took us a long time to find them, but they are an amazing resource if you are struggling with someone with neuroendocrine cancer. Wow. Thank you. We appreciate that a lot. And uh, yeah, we really just appreciate so much you coming on so thank you so much and uh we wish you the best of luck with everything absolutely thank you so much for having me all right have a good one thank you you too Bye. really uh difficult conversation to have um you know for her i can only imagine dealing with something like that um the news kind of being like, oh, one to two years, like, that's so scary. This dude sounds insanely impressive, though, to, you know, be going through all of that and still accomplishing all these things that some people can't even accomplish, you know, and they're fine, you know? Um, So he sounds like a really exceptional guy. Um, And, yeah, I mean, we appreciate her coming on and talking to us because this is something that happens every day in the world. Like, people will lose loved ones and whatnot. So hearing about other people's experience and knowing that you're not alone and that other people are kind of going through something similar, there is some comfort in that. So whenever we can cover a subject like that, that, you know, if you have a sibling, most likely you will have to deal with this one day. So it, it, it could be useful information to hear about how other people are dealing with this. Yeah, well. totally. It's it's a very easy thing to avoid and not talk about, um, but that's why it's good to have the opportunity to hear from someone, you know, willing to be so transparent and open about it and the journey. And yeah, man, like you just said, um, you know, to, to hear about Brandon's life and continuing to pursue those things through the illness is like incredible to hear. And it's just, uh, when I heard that, it's just such a reminder and it, it feels like such obvious advice but we forget it so often where it's he just he wanted to continue living like it's it's we attach so much of what we do to the outcome of things and you know the future and we're always thinking so far ahead but for him to get a job to get a house to work it's like if if we can enjoy the process of things if we can be present for the day-to-day that's where the joy lives. You know, that's where the experience is. It's not just like, Oh, if I do this now, it'll, you know, have this outcome or achievement later. And it just says a lot that he just wanted to keep up, you know, his life and his day to day, even with this terrible news, you know, and, and 
fate looming over him. So really important to hear. And, you know, she said it best, like whatever, who cares if it's a cliche, it's the truest thing in the world. You just never know. And you just have to cherish the moments that you have with loved ones. And it's as simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when things like this happen, it just kind of reminds you of, and also puts people like in the present, makes you appreciate everything. Um, you know, and you just think about the times where you, you, you don't have this type of thing on your mind and you can maybe let certain things affect you. But when something big like this happens and you have a giant loss, uh, it really puts everything in perspective about what's important and what's not important and where your attention should be. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a difficult conversation to have and, you know, you know, super unfortunate for her and her family. Um, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a reality that we all kind of have to deal with. We're all going to have to deal with loss at some point with our family, if not already. Um, so just hearing about other people's experiences and how they kind of cope with it is helpful because like Greg said, it's kind of one of those things that we all pretend isn't going to happen. And we were just like, you know what, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. It's too sad to think about, but it is helpful to, uh, you know, just hear how other people are dealing with the situation. I like to uh, hear too, that she prepared before, you know, because that right. would be, you know, it would be easy to almost live in that denial of like, like you said, like cross this bridge when we get there, but to, to prepare, I thought that was really good advice because sometimes like that is going to be the fate and it has nothing to do with giving up or like losing a battle and things like that. Like it just, it is what it is and people can be as strong as they can be. And sometimes that's going to be the outcome. Right. But yeah, uh, really, really, really great guest. And, uh, as painful as it is to hear and like all the emotions that it brings up. So it makes you very introspective about your own life and your loved ones, but that's why it's an important conversation. And I'm glad that we got to have that. Yeah. And uh, for anyone out there that would like to be a guest on our show, um, reach out to us. Our email is oplpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, send us your story and we'll get back to you. Yeah, follow us on TikTok, on Instagram at OPL Podcast. You could head over to patreon.com slash OPL show if you want to support the show that way. And uh, we use those monthly funds to make a bunch of different donations and things like that. So you could check that out as well. And that's it till next week. See you guys next time.